0: As a small business owner, you are the business and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay applications are now open for the canadian export challenge cxc 2020 presented in partnership with ups the trade commissioner service and export development canada along with mastercard and scotiabank and powered by google canada is the first nationwide fully digital pitch competition for canadian exporters This year, the Canadian Export Challenge will be accepting all first-round pitches through online video submissions. Don't miss your chance to pitch for up to $25,000 cash and up to $100,000 in support. What are you waiting for? Submit your pitch video now. The free events are open to attend for all Canadian entrepreneurs and anyone interested in learning more about the Canadian export ecosystem. Register at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC.
1: Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and change makers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventure stories and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Kevin Smith, Chief Story Architect at StoryArchitect.com in Toronto. In his career in sales, marketing, entrepreneurship, and politics, Kevin has done more than 10,000 pitches. As a chief story architect, he helps startups, small businesses, and social enterprises unleash their stories to secure customers and investors by helping them understand their core customer story and then helping them get their story to market. His services include branding, messaging, marketing strategy, social media marketing, presentation and pitch design, sales coaching, and business development. Kevin is also an educational workshop facilitator at Mars, a volunteer advisor at the RIC Center, Humber Launch, and UTM iCube, as well as a frequent speaker at small business enterprise centers. He previously worked at Dell for 14-plus years in enterprise sales and marketing and is the author of the upcoming book, The Pitch Lab. Welcome to the show, Kevin.
0: Thank you, and uh, it's good to, good to chat with you again.
1: Off the top, my first question is always, what kind of ideas are we going to share today? They're going to be of immense interest to entrepreneurs and give them a reason to stick with this podcast all the way to the end.
0: Yeah, so there's, there's three things that we're going to, I think we're going to talk about today. And the most important is how to pitch anything persuasively. So anybody can pitch, but the idea is how do we make that pitch uh, persuasive and effective? Uh, as a part of that, yeah, we're going to talk about capturing attention and why that's so vital uh, to the effectiveness of a pitch and then uh, because my, my company name is called the story architect uh, i want to talk about why story is so effective
1: so that sounds tremendously interesting. As a as a journalist, I'm certainly interested in how you communicate clearly and authentically, how you get noticed, and how you create impact. So, uh, congrats on mastering these uh, the, 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 these these approaches. And we're going to try and dig down to all of them. But first of all, tell us a little bit about your uh, journey from working at Dell to becoming an entrepreneur. Did you always know you wanted to do something like that?
0: Yeah, I need to kind of go a little bit further back in time. And I'll I'll go right back to high school uh, because high school was kind of where that entrepreneurial bug first hit me. And, you know, initially I was that high school student that had a different career aspiration, you know, every year. One year I wanted to be a mechanic. The next year I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, After that, I wanted to be an actor. Uh, But at one point I got kind of interested in entrepreneurship and, you know, that kind of really stuck with me. And at the time, you know, we had some entrepreneurship classes that they were okay, but they didn't really teach a lot of how to start a business. And then I went to Ryerson. Uh, Ryerson in 94 uh, started with an entrepreneurial and management program. Uh, so I took that for a couple of years. And the, the problem there is they taught really good business courses. But at the time, they didn't really teach you know, what we teach today which is, you know, kind of startup theory and how to start a business. And that's really what I was kind of craving. And so I didn't really get what I needed then. And then I went and got a job. I got another job. I got a job at Dell. Uh, I got into sales. I became a technical sales rep. Uh, I then got promoted to a, a brand manager. I was a brand manager for servers. And I kept getting promoted. And, you know, at one point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting promoted, but I'm not really moving on this, you know, start a business thing. And then uh, in 2009, you know, something kind of pretty big happened for me. Uh, my younger sister passed away. You know, she was 32. Uh, we lost her to mental illness. And, you know, it's, it's, it happens to, you know, this kind of thing happens to a lot of people. But it is one of those moments where you start to sit down and question everything, and that's what I did. And I realized, you know, life is short, and if I really want to get moving, I have to get moving. So, I actually started, uh, you know, a couple of years after that, putting some money aside to build up uh, my own startup fund, essentially to, to start my own business. And then I got lucky. Uh, Dell went private in 2014. Ah, As part of that, they had this restructuring program and they had a voluntary buyout. And they basically said, anybody who wants to leave, put up your hand and you'll get a buyout. And I, I put up my hand and I went to my boss and I said, uh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like the buyout. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm starting my own company. What's it going to do? I don't know. <laughs> 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 but I want to do my own thing. And so I kind of took the leap in uh, in February of two thousand and fourteen. that was uh, six years ago.
1: How did you get the idea that you wanted to become a story architect? And did you have to go to school for seven years? <laughs> no, that was uh, it was a little bit accidental, uh, and i'll I'll kind
0: of tell a bit of a story around um, how I came up with a bit of a process around pitching. But when I started uh, my own business, I wanted to start a practice, and uh, initially started doing some consulting with some uh, nonprofits and some social enterprises. And at the time, uh, that's where I thought the the, the practice was going to go. And I called my company Impact Assured Business Services, which was uh, frankly it was a little bit of a ho hum name and. It it got that kind of reaction.
1: That's the most generic name I've ever heard. So that's, good. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. Yes, but
0: at the time, I when well, I gave myself a title because I had to print out business cards, and I said I don't want to be president. What do I want to be, and I just had this flash of inspiration, and I said chief story architect, because uh, I think that fits in with how you know I want to kind of help companies, and I go into these. Kind of business events, and I'd hand out my business card, and people would look at the, the business name, and yeah, you'd get that well, whole home reaction. that's pretty generic. But they'd look at the title, and they'd go, Oh my God, that's so cool. Like, tell me more. And I got this reaction enough that it was like, I think there's a spark there. And I tested, uh, I changed the company name to the Story Architect, and then kind of retested that and that really resonated with people. Yeah, and it's 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 wildly effective in terms of uh, either communicating what I do or at least getting somebody interested in learning more about what I do.
1: That's 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 interesting. The other thing that I'm sure it did is allow you to raise your fees because suddenly you're not just selling stories or consulting advice, suddenly you're helping to build a platform for them to communicate with. At least I that, that that's the impression I get just from the phrase architect yeah,
0: and I, I like to say that what I what I do is I help people do the uh, the tech to human translation. You know, my I like to say that my superpower is taking things that are really complex and making them really simple and really easy to understand. Um, and there is value in that. You know, a lot of the the companies I work with are either tech companies or tech startups, and I end up working with founders who are really passionate about their product. You know, they know it inside and out. And, you know, they get so in depth into it that it becomes hard for them to, you know, really explain it to somebody else without a lot of jargon or technical speak, Yeah, So having someone come out and kind of look at it from the outside and say, this is what it means to this person, you know, is really helpful.
1: So uh, what, is, what does Story Architect look like now? Is it an organization? Does it have employees? Is it just you? What's it look like? Uh, it's, still,
0: it's still just me. I have uh, subcontractors that, uh, and some partners that work with me. So you know, as, as I get you know, busy periods, I bring in other people to help out. Uh, and sometimes that's people who do some of the same kind of level of story architecting that I do. Uh, We also get involved in, you know, kind of traditional marketing agency activities. So uh, sometimes you get bursts of projects or have to hire a bunch of uh, graphic designers and do that. So it's it's more of a virtual organization. And I'll say it's it's a lifestyle business at this point.
1: At this point, he added craftily. So what does that mean? Do you have big plans?
0: Uh, So the plan for my business, you know, what I really want to do with this is find a way to clone myself and that's really the hardest thing to do. Uh, I need to find a way of figuring out how to, uh, essentially make myself deliver more projects and part of that's going to be through content. Uh, you know, as you said at the start, the, there's an upcoming book called the pitch lab that I'm going to be putting out. And that's based on, uh, really the kind of the, the talk and the content that I do around pitching to investors. Uh, I've got a pretty unique process around that, and over the t- over the years, I found it's it's really valuable to people, and it's you know very easy to help them understand it. So I figure the best way of scaling that is through some kind of content, um, and then once I hit that, then I'm still entrepreneurial. Every week I have a new idea for a business, and so at some point I'm going to start working on some of these other projects.
1: Now we gotta just specify our terms here. Entrepreneurial doesn't mean you have lots of ideas for a business. It means that you can pick one and sit down and do it. So you're doing it. So I have no doubt that you are an entrepreneur. But uh, yeah, just coming up with ideas isn't the least bit entrepreneurial. We all come up with ideas all the time, and most of us never act on it.
0: Yeah, and- the easiest. The ideas are the easiest thing to do. Yeah, it's and you're right. It is picking one, which I picked, which I picked one. And it's figuring out the you know all the things that we learned through the lean startup and all the other startup methodologies of let's do some customer validation and let's build a minimum viable product. So I'm actually in the stage of that right now. Okay, very interesting.
1: Now, the fact that you're a story architect um, suggests to me that you're seeing or hearing uh, that a lot of businesses don't have clear, concise stories that have any impact uh, what do you think is the state of general communications now uh, w- with customers with investors with whatever stakeholders out there that businesses have
0: yeah I mean I definitely think it can get better so here's like here's an interesting thing I was looking up some stats before because I wanted to see how effective startups are at telling their story and right now I think there's Somewhere in the range of 100 million startups opening each year.
1: Um, Sorry, 100 million?
0: 100 million. That's global. Wow. wow. Only 5,000 to 6,000 of them have been, quote-unquote, accelerated, and only 824
1: exit. Wow. 100 so million you think to 824. Yeah, those, those are really scary stats. And that means that... That makes baby turtles look look risk-free and happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: You know, so I think we can do better. And I think part of that is if you know if founders get better at telling their story, you know, more of them will get funded.
1: Where do you think they go wrong? Where do the mistakes come from? Uh,
0: so the biggest mistake that I see... So here's a, the interesting thing is I get invited to uh some investor panels so every now and then i get to kind of sit in as a subject matter expert Uh, i get invited to some startup competitions and i get to watch startups pitch but i also get to watch how investors react to the pitches and i can tell you the biggest mistake that uh that founders make is they actually do incredibly good pitches for their product uh, and I like to say what they're doing is they're pitching to the wrong person. You know, like I've seen, I've seen people come in, I've seen them uh, tell a really good story around a product and a customer. You know, they spent, they'll spend five to 10 minutes, you know, talking about how incredible the product is and how much time they've worked on it, you know, and how many years they spent researching it um, and how amazing it is. But then they forget that that's really not what the investor cares about. You know, I'll I'll do a talk around pitching to investors and I'll kind of, I'll turn in and say, you know, what's the investor's problem. And then I'll pick up the, you know, I have a laptop bag that I carry around with me and I'll pick up the laptop bag and I'll say, this is the investor problem. They have a bag of money and all they want to know is, can you turn this bag of money into five bags of money or 10 bags of money? You know, because if you can, I'm really interested to talk to you. But if you can't tell me how that changes, like, we're done. And also I really like this bag of money. You know, tell me how what you're doing protects this bag of money and doesn't make it go away. You know, that's, that's the biggest mistake that I see.
1: So the, so, so what we're seeing there is a disconnect between, uh, the message and the audience. They're selling a product to an investor instead of selling the formula by which they're going to multiply their money. Exactly. Like the investor is,
0: is there to hear about a business opportunity, And, you know, sometimes the founders go in thinking, you know, they're there to sell a product. And that's not it. Really, they're there to sell a business opportunity.
1: Right. And let's talk about companies that are selling products. Uh, What mistake do they make? Uh, So sometimes
0: the mistake that they make is they focus too much on, um, you know, what the product itself does. And not on what the product can do for the customer. So same kind of idea, you know, especially with with technical people, to get uh, really in depth about the features of the product and how the features work. But the customer is only interested in the problem that they have, and how, you know, or the challenge they have, and how your product can make their challenge go away.
1: Right. So this is the benefits, not features. Uh line of reasoning. Exactly. And it's amazing that after all these, I've been hearing about sell benefits, not features for, you know, 20 years. And yet people are still not getting that message.
0: And there's a second mistake that, um, you know, in both of these situations, whether people are pitching to investors or they're trying to pitch to customers, there's a, there's a second big mistake that they make. And that's, um, you know, it's around capturing attention. So I, I want to do a little experiment with you because I do this when I when I kind of talk to people. Uh, when was the last time you bought a car?
1: Uh, four years ago. Okay. Do you remember? What kind of car did you buy? The one my wife wanted. <laughs> Same here.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what brand of car did you buy? Uh, Toyota. Okay. And... When you bought the Toyota, did you notice all of a sudden that there were more of that same kind of car on the road?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So
0: this this is a small little thing that... It's kind of an experience that almost everybody has, and it's a small thing that explains how the brain uh, processes information. And so it comes down to energy conservation. Uh, what I like to say is that our brain's evolved you know over hundreds of thousands of years and we evolved in energy scarce environments you know there wasn't a starbucks or tim hortons around every corner we had to uh, scrounge for food and conserve food Uh, but your brain is the most energy uh, consumptive device in your body your brain uses 20 percent of your daily caloric intake so we effectively have an energy hungry you know, device in an energy scarce environment. And when that happens, it's naturally going to uh, create algorithms to conserve energy. And so the way that the brain one of the ways that the, the brain conserves energy is by limiting what we pay attention to. You know, there's, we've got lots of stimuli vying for our attention. And the brain is going to be, is is smart. It's only going to pay attention to the things that are related to problems that we have or solutions to problems that we have. Yeah. You know, so you know when you go through this kind of car buying process, you get to this point where uh, you you go through kind of a decision process, like what kind of car do I need and what are requirements, and you eventually you get down to the well, I think I need a Toyota. You know, Camry. And then as soon as you're there, your brain is now primed to pay attention to Toyota Camrys. And then you see those everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And it happens with any buying process. Um, my wife and I, you know, my wife wanted a new duvet cover for our bed because the old one was starting to get, um, it was just getting old. And, you know, from my perspective, I don't necessarily care about duvet covers. Um, but my wife does and I care about my wife. So this is now something that I'm interested in. And so we go to the Pickering town center and I'm like, there are four different quilt stores in the Pickering town center. Like I've been in that center for a thousand (laughs) times and I've never seen these. And now all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, there's quilt town and quilt sec.
1: And there's this and that. I'm like, ah, interesting. So how does that relate to pertain to entrepreneurs? Well, the biggest thing that we have to, uh,
0: the biggest thing that we, the biggest challenge we have to face is initially capturing attention. So I'd like to say that, um, you know, your first job is to pass a seven second test because in seven seconds, you know, when we are presented with stimuli, our brains are making a decision as to whether we want to pay attention or not. And if it isn't related to something we care about, we divert our attention to something else. So, you know, when pitching to investors, we have to have a good hook. You know, we have to have something that is going to capture their attention.
1: Within seven seconds?
0: Within seven seconds.
1: Wow. Hi, my name is Rick Spence, and man, I'm done. Yeah, and that's what, when you actually watch how most, like, like,
0: like most pitches start, It'll usually start with somebody saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, uh, this is my company, and uh, this is our product. We're... And by that time, the investors, something all, on their magical distraction square in their pocket is you know now capturing their attention.
1: I guess some people have called this the attention deficit uh, economy because people are so easily distracted. There was that wonderful dog on that movie Up who said squirrel and was immediately off in another direction. And I think all our attention spans are like that. So how do you make an impact? How how, how do you cut through all that?
0: Yeah, there's something that I, um, you know, that I kind of use in my practice that I call uh, it's kind of a a persuasive attention pyramid. And to me, it's, it's kind of like this, you know, if you want to persuade uh, an investor to invest in your, your solution You need more than seven seconds to do that. You you need at least a few hours for them to review your business plan at the very least. Uh, But you have to to get their attention. And effectively what what we have to do is uh, we have to buy their attention. uh, Attention is another thing that is kind of an energy intensive process. The more you pay attention to something, the more energy your brain uses. Like if you remember going going to school, you'd come home at the end of the day and you'd be exhausted uh, because your brain was just working harder. And yeah, so when you kind of talk about this attention deficit, uh, it's not like our brains are doing a bad thing. Our brains are being very smart. We've got lots of stimuli and we're trying to conserve how much energy we actually consume by not, you know, by diverting our attention. So we start by having to pass that seven second test. And that's what a hook does. Uh, we need something that is novel and unique and interesting, uh, because our, our brains are also hardwired to look for um, opportunities or threats in our environment. Yeah, so anything that is new or stands out uh, will capture our attention. I think the best hook that I ever saw was at a TechCrunch pitch, and the the team came out, and one guy was dressed as Mario uh, from Super Mario. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he had a, a cardboard Mario Kart kind of taped around him. And he started running around the stage. And then another guy dressed as a cop came out and pulled him over. And that was the hook to their pitch. And the whole thing was about um, yeah, it was how to fight speeding tickets online. Yeah. But that was five years ago, and it's still that pitch still sticks out in my mind.
1: And and that's Um, amazing for me because I have an experience just like that. If I can share that, Um, yeah, years uh, years ago, watching uh, a a tech talk, uh, a tech or not tech talk, uh, yeah, tech. Um, It was an official tech conference, and Jamie Oliver, the uh, chef TV personality, was talking about. Uh, the danger of, uh, of of bad nutrition for children, and he brought a wheelbarrow out on stage with him, and he got talking about nutrition and children's health, et cetera, and the bad food that we eat. And we, everyone wondered why has he got a wheelbarrow? And then at some point, when the moment when it was dramatically most uh, propitious, he turned over the wheelbarrow and spilled out forty pounds of sugar onto the stage, and said, "This is how much sugar the average." American consumes in a year and like I've never seen a better more attention getting more memorable uh, use of a prop than that and years later the only reason I remember that that talk is because he spilled the wheelbarrow
0: (laughs) it's like uh, Bill Gates had a TED talk about malaria and he had this little box uh, on a stand. And when he started his talk, he pulled uh, this cover off the box and it was full of mosquitoes. And then he opened the box and he unleashed the mosquitoes on the audience. Oh my God. And it was, it was enough of a, a, a you know, a, a difference or, a, you know, a, a shocking start to a presentation that it made the news.
1: Wow. And they all carried malaria? No, no, no. These, he's like, fortunately, these mosquitoes are malaria free. <laughs> But, but he was probably talking about malaria, so that's what... And that it was, definitely got people's attention. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's fantastic. So how do we incorporate this type of insight into our daily life? I mean, no one wants to carry a wheelbarrow around, uh, may not want to dress up like Mario or or trap a bunch of mosquitoes. So so, so, what's the best way to put an insight like this into action?
0: I mean, you, you, you do have to have some kind of hook when you're starting a, a persuasive conversation. And it, that could be a pitch... Or if you're just thinking about how you're building a website, you have to think about um, you know what's that first tagline that is going to be on your screen, and so you need to have something that is interesting or unique. Yeah, you know, it could be a, an interesting turn of phrase. It could be a shocking statistic. It could be a story. Story. You know, we'll talk about works really well, um, and that has to relate you know somehow to the the problem or challenge that you're. Uh, your audience is going to be facing. You know, so if you do that, you can get past that kind of inattention barrier and you buy seven seconds of attention. Uh, or you, you, you pass that and you buy 30 seconds of attention. You know, after that 30 seconds, you know, you have to uh, provide some context so that whoever you're speaking to or whoever's reading your website knows why they're there, uh, and their brain th- sees a potential answer to a, a problem that they have. And then you, you you buy a bit more attention. So now you might get three to five minutes of attention. And the same thing, as in that three to five minutes, you have to provide enough information that the person listening sees a continuing solution, wants to invest more time and, and mental energy. And so that's why I call it a pyramid. You're continuously buying increasing amounts of of attention um, as you go through this.
1: Right, that's very interesting. Um, so there's a sort of principle involved here of constantly needing to re-engage to attract their attention. And that gives you then the license to keep talking, essentially, to go deeper and deeper or higher, higher up the pyramid in your metaphor.
0: Exactly. I mean at some point if you want somebody to spend an hour looking at a, a giant spreadsheet with your business plan, you know they have to have you know, bought into the idea that you know there's an opportunity there for them and that and it takes time to build that
1: right. How, now the, the, on the, the website it referred to 10,000 pitches. So is that the number that you've given as a as the guy selling servers or is that the number that you've worked with clients to try and uh, and perfect it's uh, so those are the number of pitches
0: that I've given and I like to say that uh, you know because I was in sales for a long time uh, I became a brand manager and actually that was where uh, a lot of the kind of focus on pitching happened uh, I I spent a lot of time going to conferences and trade shows And, you know, I'd spend time at the booth and I'd have to pitch our our products to to customers then or do the trade show talk. Uh, But increasingly, our account executives would pull me into these high pressure meetings with CIOs of big companies across Canada. And they'd say, well, okay, Kevin's going to explain to you why you should be buying uh, all of your data center enterprise gear from us. And then they go sit in the corner with their blackberry. And I I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm the pitch guy. Like I'm the guy who actually has to sell, you know, the CIO of this bank of why they have to buy from us. And, you know, for me, I was like, I have to get a lot better at this. Uh, and the way my brain works whenever I have a a problem with something, I, I dig into as much information as I can. So I think I literally read every book I could find on how to present. Um, I watched a bunch of different presentations. I took different courses. And for me, what I pulled out of it is I I started to build a process of how to do a good pitch. Uh, I call that process, the process PACES. And PACES stands for uh, problem, answer, credibility, evidence, and steps to take next.
1: Um, Sorry, so I'm a little slow here. PACES, so P-A-C-E-S. Problem... I've already forgotten the others analysis answer problem answer. So, so it's kind
0: of like, uh, no one's going to listen to you unless you're talking about a problem that they have. That's why they're going to care. And if they, you know, they must believe that you have a problem that, or that they have a problem that you could solve. Uh, they also must believe that you have an answer to that problem. Uh, they have to believe that the answer is true, so you need to provide some evidence that the answer is true. Uh, but the most important part of it is actually credibility. You know, they have to they have to trust that you are capable of providing the answer to that uh, to that problem that they have. If they can't trust you, uh, then that that pitch doesn't matter.
1: But that goes well beyond story architecture, right? That relates to uh, uh, product market fit it relates to quality of service and product uh, all the big uh, all the big engines
0: yes it relates to like that's the, the it, again it's the way that our brains like to be persuaded you know we want that we want that connection to our problem uh, we need to see proof but we also have to trust the source of the information and I'm sure as a journalist you've you've you must have seen the same thing in writing articles, that you know, the source of the information had an impact on the you know, the acceptability of the story.
1: Very much so. Let, let let's take it down to the entrepreneur at the ground level here. Can you tell me about a project that you've done where you worked with an entrepreneur, whether it's selling to customers or to investors, and where you encountered a really really bad message and where you were able to to fix it you don't have to tell us who they were so that way you can tell us uh the grisly details
0: yeah and i'll try not to be uh as unspecific as Mm -hmm, possible but this is a uh this is a true story i was working with uh, a dental technology company and they they came up with this device that would help dentists do uh, fillings better so we actually got to learn how fillings fail, which in itself is pretty interesting. Uh, basically, if you if you go to the dentist and you have a you, know, you have a cavity, they're going to put a filling in. And the way that they do this is they they put a liquid resin in the hole where the the cavity was, and then they use UV light to cure the 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 resin, uh, and they essentially harden the resin or they cook it. Uh, and what these guys learned is that dentists don't know how much time to apply to the uh, to the light you know, because they need a certain amount of UV energy. But all of the lights they use have a, a very wide variance in the amount of energy they output huh. uh, because they're from different manufacturers, they're different ages, it might have been dropped on the floor, you know, it might have gunk on it. And so you know, what they learned is, dentists just wing it <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of us who knew yeah uh so they apply like 10 to 20 seconds of light and then they kind of test it and then they apply another 10 to 20 seconds of light and then they test it so if you've been sitting in the chair and you're like it seems like he's just poking around there for a while that's that's why um uh, because they're not sure if it's if it's if it's hard enough or not and some of those fillings fail Uh, you know, sometimes the the resin is too soft and the filling falls out. And other times the resin is too hard and it actually expands and cracks the tooth. Oh my. Uh, So their theory was um, dentists are are very concerned about their reputation and their reliability and customer service. And so their belief in the message is that if we talk about Um, how much better their customer experience is going to be that will get their attention. And, uh, and so we tested that. And what we did, uh, what I, what we we did is we went and talked to a bunch of dentists and we asked them uh, what were some of the things they cared about. And this is, this sometimes comes back to basic customer discovery questions. Uh, We, we, we talked about pain points and we talked about gain points and we really tried to understand what, they were concerned with, and the funny thing is, customer service wasn't as high in the priority list. Yeah, uh, it was there, but it wasn't something that was a big pressing problem. And we even said, like, when when you have a failing fail, like, what are the things you're concerned about? And the thing that they were most concerned about was actually what they called chair time or you know practice efficiency. They were worried that about the lost billing time to fix the problem because when someone came back to get a filling redone um, it usually took more time and that was time they didn't get paid for
1: right so you're telling me that that was the wrong thing to be concerned about
0: yeah and so we we came back to them and said this is what you need to kind of focus on first because you know know, you've got that first 7 to 30 seconds to capture their attention and whoever's going to go into the dentist and pitch this has to pitch it the right way if they pitch it based on improving customer service and that's not their biggest challenge well then you've lost their attention
1: uh, okay i'm seeing it now
0: so just by by restructuring how they were pitching on their website and going in on practically you know, going into to talk to dentists that made them much more effective
1: so they understood that they had to appeal to the dentist's concern about the lost revenue, and that there was a, a way to a, a, a way to reduce re, reduce the free work by understanding this new product. Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that took a lot of work. It t- it does take some work to
0: uh, to figure out the right message. Uh, and this is this is stuff that entrepreneurs can do themselves. You know, there's you know, if you do good customer discovery, uh, meaning you go and talk to customers and you ask them the right questions. Yeah, you know, and you should be doing this as you're uh, trying to build product market fit. You can use some of that information to figure out what messages are going to be the most critical. Uh, but that's work that that you know my my practice does with uh, with other startups, and we actually work with. Uh, a lot of businesses who have either, you know, they kind of need a refresh to their message or they've come up with a new product and they have some of the same challenges.
1: Right. So uh, obviously there's there's many companies that will go to a firm like yours for help, but there's a lot of people who are going to try and do it themselves. So. Um, can you think, are there, what are the best questions that they should be asking customers in order to try and understand what's important to them and use that as feedback to create more effective messages?
0: Yeah, so, um, and I'll direct people to a resource that uh, I found very useful. Uh, it's called Customer Dev Labs, uh, customer customerdevlabs.com. It's run by a guy named Justin Ellis. And he has all kinds of uh, scripts and templates and things that you can use to do customer discovery. Um, but the, some of the best questions are really, uh, tell me a story about a time when you were faced with this challenge. And then uh, the next best questions to ask after that are why. Uh, so asking why five times you know, will start to uncover the, the real challenge and pain points that customers have. Um, i like to ask what the impact of a pain point is. So how does that affect you? you know, so somebody's saying, well, yeah, we, uh, you know, we lose chair time. You know, you know, we lose that, that ability to, to charge for revenue. I would say, well, well, how does that impact you? Why does that matter? And you know, a lot of the questions that I ask are, are good open-ended questions. And I'm listening for the response to understand, okay, how can I expand on that? Or where, what can I dig into? It takes a little bit of skill to to figure out really the right questions to get good information.
1: Right, now is this a sort of a process that people should just engage in once in a while? Or is it sort of a best practice that they learn to like explore these things all the time so they can constantly be getting feedback and constantly trying to upgrade their messaging?
0: I think this is uh, this is something that should be an ongoing an ongoing process. Like every customer interaction is an opportunity to learn from that customer. Yeah. So if you're if you have the opportunity to talk to customers, uh, you know it's always good to ask them uh, additional questions and learn
1: more. Right. So uh, if people want to learn more from you, I guess they can wait for the 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 book. Um, but uh, you're also on Twitter, so, you, so, so you, you, you give some pretty good advice there, either offering it yourself or retweeting it from others. And, and to me, Twitter is a great way to, to actually tap into people's minds. I call it mind reading, actually, that they, they can see what you're thinking about. And if they like the work you do, then, then that can be of immense help. Uh, any other ways that people can communicate with you and understand what you're up to and what you're thinking about next?
0: Um, I spend I spend some time on LinkedIn, so that's uh, that's a good spot to connect with me. Uh, you know, people can feel free to email me or call me. I'm I'm happy to answer uh, answer questions as people have them. As I said, I'm going to have uh, I'm working on getting a book on this process put out this year. Um, I'm going to have a companion podcast that will go along with that. Uh, so that's another another project that I'm working on. Uh, but I'm pretty responsive. If someone wants to uh, to reach out to me, I'll I'll
1: respond. Fantastic. To they should be uh, people should be aware that if they just Google Kevin Smith, they might get a different one. Uh, it's a guy who's big in Hollywood and everything. So they got to make sure they get the right Kevin Smith, at the story architect in Toronto. Last last question for you, Kevin. Um, what's the most actionable piece of advice that you think entrepreneurs should take away from this conversation and implement in their business?
0: uh so i think we talked about building a good hook and, and and how to talk to customers i think those two are very actionable um Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about the importance of story and so i think if we've got a little bit of uh, if we have a few minutes i think it might be good to to dig into that
1: okay yeah because i think this will be worth people's time to understand the importance of story i'm sorry we didn't get into that sooner so if, if you're good enough to uh uh, chat about it for a few minutes more. I'm certainly willing to listen. Yeah, and I think
0: really the practical advice is going to be that they'll take away is how to get a cat to take medication. Ah, that's
1: what that said in my show notes. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> you probably exactly. Read that and was like, what? I, I considered asking it, and then I thought, Nah, you, know, you never know. There's a old lawyer's uh, uh, aphorism that you never ask a question you don't know the answer to
0: so uh when my wife and i started first started dating we got uh we got a cat and this is this little black cat Uh, i named it sauron uh, because (laughs) lord of the rings was really popular (laughs) and i thought it'd be funny to have a cat named sauron Uh, it is and the the funny thing is this cat was the most skittish scared cat like you ever saw like she was terrified of everything and at one point she got like she got sick And I had to take her to the vet. And this was the first cat that I had owned and was responsible for. And the vet was like, she's got an infection. She's going to need some antibiotics. Uh, And he demonstrated how to get the cat to take antibiotics. He lifted the head back. He put the pill in the cat's mouth. He rubbed the cat's throat. And I was like, okay, that that seems pretty easy. Uh, Yeah, try the home game version of this. Anybody who has a cat, I don't know if you have a cat or not. We're dog people. Yeah. If you've ever tried to give a cat medication, you know it's not fun. Uh, This cat actually became Sauron. Like the shriek that came out of this thing was like one of the ring wraiths from Lord of the Rings. I have a scar on the back of my hand from her biting me, trying to get her to take medication. This is what selling to people is like. Hmm. Uh, People are fact-resistant. And so I like to kind of say, again, this just comes back to how our brains work. We evolved in uh, small social communities. And our uh, status and standing within our social communities depended on a cohesive point of view. Um, If we took on information that was different than our current uh than our current social community believed yet we could be ostracized and if we could be if we were ostracized and left to fend for ourselves we could die and so our brains just developed this handy little algorithm that says new information equals death (laughs) and so like, I kind of see this. You know, if you watch people on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook and arguing with each other, they never change each other's minds. Yeah. Like, if you have ever seen anybody ever change each other's mind on Facebook?
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen.
0: It doesn't happen. And it's because we don't trust other people's facts. You know? Uh, so the question then becomes, well how do you get a cat to take medication and for sauron what we did (laughs) is we we her favorite treat was salmon so we would put the pill in salmon and then we put it on the floor and she would gobble it up Uh, this is what story does so a good story uh is a wrapper for the fact you know the brain really likes story Mm. Uh, we like telling stories we like hearing stories yeah we will pay but long attention to a story and a, a good story will get the fact through that fact resistant barrier you know that's that's uh so if i leave you with anything it's if you're really trying to persuade people you know you need to use story uh in exchange of or alongside of facts to uh, to change their point of view
1: and that's, and that's that's really interesting. I mean, when you, you mentioned Sauron and all those things, it occurs to me that some of our most important stories um, in, in in our human lives came from fairy tales. And we learned about what happened when Hansel and Gretel ate something they shouldn't. We learned what happened when Little Red Riding Hood went out in the woods alone. And uh, a lot of important messages were wrapped up in those stories. And these were messages that, that kids don't want to know because kids are just adults with... Fewer years of experience, um, and so it's interesting to hear that, uh, yeah, that, that it hasn't changed. The idea that 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 we there is resistance to new ideas if they require us to forego a, a, a pleasure or change our minds or change something that we do or accept something new. And so these stories, they'll be the 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 the, the I like it. You wrap you wrap the the pill in a story and uh, makes it easier to swallow. So I guess that's why you're the story architect. That's why you see stories as essential business tools. And uh, I really want to thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I hope people will in, will, will uh, really consider getting better stories. I share your concern that we're not telling the stories properly, and that it's uh, it's absolutely an important and increasingly important, I think, as as all the noise around us gets gets greater, it's increasingly important to have an impact and to make sure you're, you're listened to. And so whereas our parents' generation may not have had to worry about these things, it's, it, it's, and certainly big businesses may not have to because they have clout, market clout instead, it's up to every entrepreneur to make sure they tell the best story they can. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kevin Smith, Chief Story Architect at The Story Architect. It's been great talking to you, and I want to thank you for giving so much time to Startup Canada.
0: Uh, Anytime. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay. We'll look forward to talking again. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Please stay tuned for another minute to hear the latest startup community news and our upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.